0: Good morning. good morning. Since it's the sermon on giving, we're going to lock the doors now, so blue team, please lock the doors. We have eight more pyramids set up in the lobby. Search lights are on. Here they come. All right. Good, good. We also, every website you visit during this message will go to our giving page here at Element3. Element3.org slash giving. We are excited, though, in all seriousness. Can the search lights. Come on. People are feeling nervous. And feeling, honestly, thank you for this extreme generosity, extreme generosity to serve Tallahassee. Love seeing so many grocery bags come in full of food that will be given out this Saturday at our serve, uh, Thanksgiving serve, special serve uh, disbursement. And excited for uh, you all to be a part of that in such a profound and amazing way. And also thankful for our blue team for the unplanned fire alarm last week and just... Uh, <laughs> fun. It was just fun. But honestly, it was a great way of saying we can be safe and very secure if there was an actual emergency. If you're interested in helping on our blue team, they're needing extra help, extra volunteers, especially as we look forward to uh, two services in 2024. We're excited about that. That was a good, yeah, yeah, yep, 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 yep. And if you're interested in serving at E3 Kids, E3 Kids will need a lot more volunteers if we're going to have E3 Kids both at a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock service. Because who wants your kids in church? No one! Just <laughs> kidding. Kids in church are always welcome and glad for those who are sitting with their parents in this gathering. We are loving, loving the growth and the momentum that we see at church. And just as a quick, as we get into communion, we undermade communion a little bit. We now have got enough surplus on the back communion table and the offering table by the cross. If you run out from one station, just keep going to the next until we find enough. It'll be fishes and loaves here this morning, folks. <laughs> I, I underestimated attendance after a certain game last night, okay? <laughs> and I'll, honestly, we're going to talk about giving now. And we're going to focus on finance for this sermon, but a large asterisk that this sermon can be applied towards other ways of giving, of obviously volunteering like I just talked about, and prayer, do you give of your prayer? Do you give of your time and the different talents that you have? And we just heard an amazing talent here during worship, yes? Yeah. Yes, amen. More on that in a moment. But in researching and in looking through this particular message, I want to say focused on our finances because for the most majority of people in this room, finances are important to you in your daily life, yes? For those online, this is an important topic to discuss as we get into 2023 and into 2024. And in researching the sermon and listening to other messages, because that's part of my process, that I'll go through and listen to a wide variety, both on the spectrum, liberal and conservative, right and left. I listened to a lot of different voices on the serpent topic that I'll be preaching on weeks in advance. It was fascinating, because regardless of outdoor la- outside labels, it appeared that there was a certain rhythm that these different messages took on the topic of giving. And the themes that emerged were this, that first... God owns everything, and you don't, which has an underlying guilt that if you have anything, you're somehow guilty of owning something in this world, right? (laughs) Secondly, that God blesses others through giving to the church. Third, God specifically wants you to give how much percentage? 10%. Call it a tithe. We'll get into that in a moment. And most sermons that I listened to said that if you give 10% or if you give up to that 10%, then God will do and he'll bless you back even more. How healthy is that? And lastly, these sermons had a sense of, help us help you give. And especially that our place, our church, is a place where you need to be giving. Nowhere else deserves your giving but this place. It's an interesting idea, these giving sermons, because they're one part guilt Two parts have to do this, and three parts, God, mixed into a bowl, and you come out saying, I don't know if I like that sermon or not, but I better give because I'm supposed to, right? So what I want to do this morning gives us a little bit of a fresh take. Because as a kid in a little town called Fremont, Nebraska, I attended a United Methodist Church, and I heard these sermons given 30, 40, 50 years ago. I'm not going to tell you old I am. And this idea of little Scott sitting there listening to the sermon, saying that God needs your money, God needs your money, God needs your money. And as a little kid, I specifically remember sitting in a service thinking, gosh, there must be some sort of vacuum that sucks up the offering from this service and sends it into heaven, and somehow God needs that money. Man, God really needs my money, my parents' money. (laughs) And God's going to use that money to do something good here on earth. And we all know that's not true, right? As a former teacher, this unfortunately implies several key facets. I want to unpack this morning. Number one, having health wealth is somehow bad. Two, money allows for access to God. Three, the tithe is the ideal. And four, the church's handling of money is better than your own. So let's unpack these four myths one at a time in understanding the art of giving better. Got it? That was funny. Very unenthusiastic. We're talking about money, friends. Yeah, let's do it. There we go. Number one, having wealth is bad. Having wealth is bad. Wealth is not necessarily bad, friends. But doing well in worldly business is not a bad thing either. It's what you do with this wealth that we know that is a great change agent. There are numerous disciples of Jesus who are exceptionally wealthy. I'll give the example of Joseph of Arimathea. He has bought an unused grave where Jesus' body is placed after his crucifixion. And to have that amount of money means that he was exceptionally wealthy for his time. But the ancient church and the modern church should not equate wealth with sin. The ancient church survived under the generosity of not only a few large donors, but they actually survived because these large and wealthy people opened up their homes where people could actually worship. They did not have church buildings in the ancient church. They worshiped in people's homes. Okay? So Odell's are going to be hosting E3 next week. Okay. Okay? <laughs> then I'm looking back here. Ventures, you're the week after, okay? I'm kidding. The house churches are great. But having a separate place in 2024 or 2023 to worship is also great. And we realize that having wealth that we actually have to pay for these lights to be on, for there to be A.C. in the summer, amen? amen. Heat in the winter for like two days. Yeah. Okay. Some of you are like, it's freezing in here. I'm sorry, it feels good. <laughs> the, the idea, I actually ask people, okay? But the idea of having this wealth is not in itself a bad thing. See God does own everything and will own everything in the world to come. But it's been clear ever since the garden that we have be stewards of our wealth, of what we have in this earth and how we obtain it is of equal importance. With this there's only a finite amount of wealth that one can have. Let me say that again. There's only so much wealth that one person both needs and can have out the outright. And the pursuit of that wealth cannot somehow trump the pursuit of God. Otherwise it's a false idol. I love the movie, the, uh, here he is, there he is, <laughs> old Jim Carrey with the power of God, nothing can go wrong with that, right? And as the power of God, he's typing in all these prayer request answers, and as he types them in, he just says, auto answer all Yes it's no surprise that people pray that they would win the lottery. And as the entire town that he lives in wins the lottery overnight, the lottery goes from $1 million, let's say, to like $1. thirty-seven per person. And people are outrageously mad at this person, this human, who has the powers of God, who just answers every prayer yes. See, the pursuit of this money in the illustration here is that somehow I can get enough money where I'll be somehow be satisfied. No, you'll never be satisfied with wealth. But to cover yourself with wealth over wealth over wealth over wealth over money over money over money, possessions, boats, cars, houses, dogs. Oh, dogs are exception there. There you yeah. yeah. Is, went too far on that one. But on Odyssey, the idea of having possessions to somehow cure what ails your heart is, is the root of many types of evil, as the Bible says. See, money and wealth are not bad, but they will not solve any problem outright, Managing wealth is a burden, and being poor is a burden. There's no perfect equilibrium of wealth and possessions. There are paradox in this world until I believe the new kingdom takes shape and awakens us fully realized. That said, wealth and possessions, the way in which we use them, show our belief in the world to come. And distributing freely and giving freely out of having that wealth is a key towards being balanced. Wealth and possessions can also be used in simple ways by the church. More on that in a moment. But let's consider the church and the pastor who only pursues wealth. I remember going years ago to Uganda on one of my first mission trips overseas, and we went to the sticks in Uganda, okay? It was near the border of Sudan, out in the middle of nowhere, and we were touring through this little village called Barakalo, 100-some people. The most amazing thing, we woke up in the morning, and there's a cow being butchered right outside our door. That night we had hamburger for dinner. They don't have refrigeration, their friends. I remember the women walking with the daily water from the well, miles, and then heating it up over a coal stove so I could take a bucket shower at night. I felt guilty. But then it was also awkward that as we went and toured the pastor's house of that village, the pastor had a garage for his car. There were no cars with the general populace of this town, but they somehow wanted to prove. That by their belief as Christians, that their pastor had a life that was worry-free financially. Now, I don't need a garage and a car for me; it's just not the point. Because the other end of that spectrum, we have pastors who sign literal shoe deals to make money off the shoes they wear on Sunday mornings. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do a little dance up here for y'all. Art, art of the dance? No, 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 no. Stay focused. Jesus famously quips, you cannot serve both God and money. And this cannot be more true. But don't feel sinful if you're wealthy. Feel sinful if you're serving God or money as your God. And perhaps reframe that if you're sitting here, you have some level of wealth in comparison with the rest of the world. That goes to our second point, second myth. Money opens up blessings. Believe it or not, as a teacher, I try to have messages build on one another but I'm always wary of referencing past messages from months ago for new guests who come all the time. But let's quickly go back, because most of us here remember this, the Beatitudes, that sermon series, a simpler time, a wonderful time in October. Yep. What was the point? Blessings are what? Proximity to God. Thank you. Proximity Ooh. to yes. God. Lindsay Dernberger pays attention to the sermons. <laughs> Blessings are a proximity to God, but over and over and over and over, messages I listen to about giving... Blessings we're giving, they're money, it's doing this ministry with this kind of money, that's blessing. No, 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 friends. See, money is not a blessing. Let me say that clearly. Money is not a blessing. And finance by itself does not access proximity to God. If that was the case, the richest of the riches of this world would have some sort of up on all of us who can get faster to God. No, that's not the case. See, the larger the building, the more tech in this room, the larger the salaries, by themselves will not bring God into this space more than a $1.37 yearly budget. How do we respond to finance then? If we read all of Scripture, and specifically the one we heard Marianne just read a moment ago perfectly, our response should be to reorient my priorities in my life and lower finance. Moreover, we must reorient that money does not bring blessings, and therefore my priorities in life must be further down the list, and not only all the Beatitudes, but every single person in my life. And it isn't some sort of scale, as I'm using this visual illustration here. That somehow finance is here, and all the people in my life are here. No, it's a different category. People made in the resemblance of God, being the image of God, are more important than finance over here. You get it? Because when I start muddling the two together, and saying, well, I can somehow maybe bless a person by giving them some money and making them wealthy so then they can go up the scale. There's never an end to this scale, friends. People, money. Got it? Good. May our church always remember the priority, and the larger big C church as well, to do our work. And more on this in a moment. We need finance to accomplish this. But on this topic, let's chat about that third myth and what it really confuses many people about. That somehow the tithe or 10% is the ideal. And this is so difficult, friends. A chance encounter with the priest Melchizedek with Abraham in Genesis gives him 10% of this to this priest Melchizedek, ushers in a 5,000 year curse upon every preacher that somehow 10% is some sort of gold standard. Those who give less, just not holy. You're not living up to that biblical precedent, those who only give 9%, especially if it's pre tax. You know, if you're, pre, if you're post-tax, you're okay, but pre-tax 9% is different than post-tax. Everybody know, right? I'm being silly. You can laugh. Awkwardly, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry, because if you get 11%, you are, whoa. Whoo. 11% Christians, that's a title of a bestseller somewhere in the next 10 years, right? <laughs> Whoo. If I'm living given giving 11%, I must be, like, really wealthy, Like, I already have four boats. I don't need a fifth. I'll just give 11% to the church. Luke 21. And he looked up, and he saw the rich putting their gifts in the treasury, and he saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites, a fraction of a penny. And he said, truly, I tell you, I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave out of their gifts, out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty... in all she had to live on see jesus uses finance to illustrate stark points over and over and over in his ministry 11 out of the 39 parables are about money 11 out of the 39 which is of extreme consequence to his listeners compared to us in a society that is layered with safety nets the art of giving is not based upon a percentage but an attitude of generosity which is of eternal significance, not guilt or manipulation. So how much should I give? I know some people live, and they say, my goal is to give a reverse tithe, that I'll give 90% of my income and use 10%. How, whoa, whoa, whoa. That that makes me dizzy. For some, it is based upon the need that is out there, that there's a need present, and they pray to God about it, and God says, yes, then they give. And they give all they have, as this widow does in the passage we just went through. I would like to say that I'm preaching to the choir here this morning, that here Pastor Mike came up last week and did a great job illustrating the need that Surf Tallahassee had, and we've had remarkable generosity of huge gifts towards Surf Tallahassee we've not had in this church in a long time, plus a stream of people coming in this week. I've chit-chatted with more people of e Church this week than I've ever had in my ministry here because there's been person after person after person walking in and dropping off groceries, you should give yourselves a round of applause right now. I want to bring this up just in terms of a church, though. Because as a church, we do need finance to function. Right now, we're about $7,000 per month over the last four months to what we budgeted we thought we would get giving from. And our average attendance in person has almost doubled in two years. Let's give you those numbers for a moment. Some may ask, why not cut expenses? Use volunteer staff, turn that AC up to 78 in the summers, eliminate coffee, and we're gonna round the entire church to over a- hey the I knew that, I knew somebody would get upset about that. See, I just had a list. I was about out of the list, I'm like, somebody better interrupt me. We have I'm not trying to be shrewd. I'm not trying to be to to, to do that. We we have to be determined together that our current mold of ministry does have success based upon the evidence we have in this room and the huge evidences of Baptism Sundays, the amazing evidences of those anecdotal confessions, those testimonies that have been changed and transformed, the people who will say, gosh, I didn't really care for your sermon, but it made me think. Those are the moments that we need to celebrate as a church, and that's what we need the finance for. We can average out all the numbers. We can say that if everybody gives $227 for this week and next week we will somehow make up our shortfall. I've been at churches who do this. But since if we say it's a 10% standard, that eliminates that person who feels moved to write a check for $28,000. And then I don't have to preach on this for another year. Make sense? See, the tithe eliminates the extreme generosity of times of people, along with the unneeded guilt of the person who cannot give four dollars, they can only give three in that offering pyramid let 's celebrate those who can give whatever they can give in whatever seasons they are in. Amen? Amen I wish I would have heard that from a preacher as I was much more younger than I am now. I wish I would have heard that it's okay to only give two or three dollars at a time or it's okay to give three or four thousand at a time because of the generosity of the place that you 're in now there are times as a early married couple that my wife and I would receive as I was in seminary learning how to be a pastor. I'm in this incredible amount of giving this money to this institution. And all of a sudden we get this check in the mail. Or all of a sudden we had this unmarked, I don't even, still don't know how they did this. It came from somewhere in Utah, the, the, the zip code. I don't know anyone from Utah. But from Utah we got this envelope full of cash. And it just happened to coincide with a bill that we had coming up. I mean, we, we thought we were in hogs heaven when we had two chicken breasts and we were grilling on the grill outside. Well, we've all been in those situations, right? Where, where things are low, where we have very little. And sometimes some of us in this room are in a situation where it's very opposite of that. Say, I've been given a lot to steward, not blessed. I've been given a lot to steward, and I can be generous in this particular point in my life. I love the book, When Helping Hurts. And I believe it is one of the best resources you can read. Pick it up, read it, find it online. When helping hurts is one of the best ways in which we can guard ourselves about how much is enough and when and where and how to give. See, my encouragement is not to think of giving as an ought to, but a get to. Some of us in this room are even blessed, I believe, with a spiritual gift of generosity. That for some, it is just so easy to be generous and to give while others just don't have that developed in them as equal to someone who can play violin as a virtuoso or someone who can just play hot cross buns. The idea of this is that we have an get to be generous, not an ought to be generous. The art of giving allows you to contribute to something larger than yourself and to entrust your finances towards building God's kingdom, which gets us to point four. The church can handle money better than you when it comes to giving. Cue uncomfortable laugh. That was really well done. That could have been like recorded for a soundtrack for a show right there. That was perfect. Man, we should record that and like we could sell that and take care of our problems with our finances, guys. All seriousness, I've been a part of a church where there was an extreme amount of uh, embezzlement done and it was one of the most gut-wrenching hard things I've ever had to go through, where a person was allowed over a course of years to take little bits, and then those little bits got more and more and more and more and more, to the point where good, solid Christians were on a stage saying, we are only X amount behind our budget, not realizing that the X amount was what exactly this person was stealing. We all have those stories. We all have those stories of a church that maybe has hurt us, We've been disappointed by the pastor's shoe choice. This isn't what I would wear. But in all honesty, churches are full of imperfect people, as pastors are too. But it's a correct assumption, that hopefully we would not misuse funds when it comes to your offerings, that there is a higher standard from a church, and there's so much hurt when an abuse or a dash of greed or pastor ego get into the finance. And churches do need to take the finances and do the ministry they feel called to, just as any nonprofit should. It is the last 75 years of egregious Western greed that's put a black eye on the church's finances as a whole. But let's recall that even Martin Luther started a reformation due to that greed of the Roman Catholic Church. Or the Dark Ages, where massive churches were built while the whole of humanity languished. Or the misuse of funds when the Roman Empire twisted the church into the societal standard versus holding all things in common. Or lest we forget that it was even Ananias and Sapphira, one of my least favorite passages in all the Bible, where they dropped dead because they held back churches from the initial disciples. Or even the fact that it was Judas Iscariot who was a treasurer for the apostles. It is churches that have helped cause this historic and consistent abuse. And even if there wasn't any history of E3 of any financial issues there's still an experience that you just can't faith away. E3 needs your help. All of our helps. And faithfully, consistently, and accountably to use our finance appropriately and carefully. Amen? Amen. The art of giving inspires trust that just as we have the ability to use finance poorly, we can illustrate how to use it well just as often. And the way in which we use our finance and the way in which we give can illustrate to those outside these walls just what we believe. From wells in Kenya to houses in Guatemala, a motorcycle in Haiti, ramps in Tallahassee, to testimonies and lives transformed, to the ministry, the music, the connection, and the service, we together must faithfully and trustfully give toward the art of giving. But if addressing these four myths isn't enough, I want to give you another visual to walk away with from this message, will hopefully hit home. I'm going to call out Darian, the future Dr. Darian Lee. There she is. Our violinist this morning, who has blessed us with this, an amazing sound, obviously. And what I want her to do in this art of is to illustrate two different versions of the same piece. It's by Bach. And for many of you, this will sound so foreign to maybe some of the styles you're used to. But I want you to take note on this first version which is the really, really good one, right? This is the practice one. Just kidding. I want to make sure we're doing this right because I don't (laughs) want to do it wrong. This is the practice version. For those online, listen up to this. Close your eyes if you need to. This is how it sounds in a practice version of the Bach piece. Here we go. Just wait. That's a practice version. Now, for those who don't understand classical music, you're going to hear a difference between version 1 and version 2. Here is the performance version. Thrilled that she's gonna be back every week. <laughs> in 2020, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But seriously, anytime. Um, see, friends, you can hear the difference between one and two, right? I mean, one is it, it, is is beautiful, and sounds inspiring, and just the sound from that violin, just just permeates this room. But two, you get the tremolos, you get the chords. You get the, even the, the, the easing of the tempo as only a solo violinist can do. I mean, just leaning into one beat and pulling away from another. Woo. All day long, I could listen to that. And that's how it is about giving. See, some of us as a Christian, we're doing the practice notes. but We just haven't added in that next layer of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's giving freely and joyously. Because we're, we're nervous. Because if I give, maybe, maybe the church will misuse it. Or if I give, I'm not giving enough because it's only 10%. Or if I give, if I give, if I take away the excuses and lean into the masterpiece that God is using in your life following him. Because not anything the Bible says we ought to do because we get to. We get to be a follower of Jesus Christ who gives of himself in the most ultimate way possible. Jesus never discounts money. He tells us to give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to give to God's what is God's. And what he wants is all of us, fully, completely, and without anything held back. And that involves, friends, at times, our findings. See, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took simple elements not ones that are ornate or that will be hard to find, but through human history, we have had bread. We've had the cup to illustrate what he tells us he will do. And that's to give himself as a payment, as a model, as a perfect example for covering our sin. And it's a price that we cannot pay. It's a thing we cannot earn. It's what we cannot completely model in this life. But we have faith and we believe that in the life to come, we'll be fully satisfied, fully rectified, and have the example of Jesus' sacrifice that we can bear through our whole lives. In a moment, I'll open up the table. We'll pray over the elements. I'll invite this section to come to this table, these middle sections to come here. Several of you will probably have to go back to the communion table in the back. And for this section up here, come to this table. We use gluten-free bread. We invite anyone who has a faith in Jesus Christ to partake of this meal. And there no mem- you do not need to be a member of this church or any church to come and partake of this meal we're about to have together. With that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity we have to reflect upon the gift you have given us. And this art of giving is fully consummated by what you did on this night so long ago. With these simple elements, you gave imagery of the Old Testament, of the people of Israel being exiled away, of the idea of understanding that we can find freedom, not in the blood on our doorposts, but by the blood being put into us. You take imagery of bread, the life-giving sustenance we need day in and day out, and that we would never be fully satisfied until we have the bread that only can come from you, your body. And Lord, we take a moment to understand the seriousness that you have these elements set here before us. And for those online, we pray the blessing over whatever they're using. That this is not a simple, trivial, or some sort of trite remembrance, but we do this in remembrance of you, the ultimate author of the art of giving. We pray your blessing over these elements and all the hands will take them and we say as one church body, amen. Come, the table is open.